Well, again, good morning to you. 2022. And when you think about what's going on with it, I know it's the second Sunday, but our goal, our desire for you, and even at Chapel Point, people are like, what's 2022 going to look like at Chapel Point? Um, I will tell you this very clearly. I have no idea. Except for this, I am more convicted to preach the truth of the gospel than I've ever been in nearly 48 years of living. And I will tell you now, our prayer for you is that you would literally elevate Jesus in every part of your life. So as we start today, I want you to start thinking about how you need to, what's one area of your life in which you could elevate Jesus Christ? What's one relationship that you could inject some more Holy Spirit? What's one area, maybe it's finances or resources, maybe it's where you give your time. You're like, oh, I love Jesus, but you don't give him any time. You're like, oh, but I give back where I can, but you don't give him any time. Maybe it's in a marriage that you have, and you're like, man, I just, our marriage is not good, and I just want it to be made better. Well, give it to Jesus. God can redeem any marriage at any time from anything. Amen. It's called humble yourselves. Recognize you don't have to be right because we're all jacked up sinners, right? But we've got grace and freedom through the power of Jesus. Maybe you need to elevate Jesus in your, in your energy that you give to the word of God. You need to elevate that. Maybe you need to elevate Jesus in your job. And I'm not going any further, by the way. <laughs> I'm like, like I'm, I'm glad that we were cost-effective, but could we not have done better? <laughs> I'm not as cat-like as I used to be. Do you need to elevate Jesus? This, this is literally what they used to do in churches. They would have a plat right? To the side, they'd have a platform. You would step up and you'd go to an area and order, you would only do one thing there. You know what you would do there? You'd read the word of God because it should be higher than anything else in your life. So yes, physically, this is higher than I normally am. But may this be true for you for 2022, that you would elevate the word of God because what you're going to hear today is that there is a better covenant to have in the name of Jesus Christ, a greater relationship with the heavenly father, the creator of the universe, to be known because of Jesus Christ. So as we're still walking through the book of Hebrews this decade, is what it feels like, what we're going to do is, I like just to read for us, from Hebrews chapter 8. We're jumping in 6 through 13. That's the remainder of it. And like we all, are you ready for the word of God? And so may we stand together for the reading of the word of God. It's here on the screen for us. And as, as we look at these words, you know how it goes. If, if you're not too new here, I'm going to read this. And as I point to you or do something, leave an area blank, fill in the words, okay? So that we can engage fully with the word of God. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6 and following. But as it is, Christ has obtained... I'm sorry, I left a little bit too much of a blank there. <laughs> I'm going to do better this time. You wouldn't think I already did this for a service. Oh, man. Failure. Okay. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more than the old as the covenant he mediates is better. Since it is enacted on better... For if that first had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new 
with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the that I made with the fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of For they did not continue in my And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their and write them on their We can do better than that. And I will write them on my And I will be their God, and they shall be my And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. And speaking of a new, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete, obsolete is growing old. Growing old is ready to vanish away. This is the word of God. May it saturate our minds and our hearts. You may be seated. I won't lie. I was praying that God would put large people in the first row. No offense, but that didn't happen. Um, So I was extra careful. I was like, God, somebody needs to be able to catch me just in case. I tell you, this is an amazing passage for us today. And what we're going to be able to do is unpack what it is for Jesus to truly be the better covenant, a greater covenant than anything else that we've ever known through humanity. And so as we dive into this, let me help us understand Hebrews 8, 1 through 4, very briefly. I'm going to pick up where Pastor Luke left off last week, but he did cover these verses. But let me just give you a brief understanding. And these are some things, there's a lot of nuggets today. I'm trying to simplify better covenant old versus new covenant as much as I can and so there are some things that may benefit you to write down because earlier in this year I walked through the book of Exodus Exodus and Hebrews when it comes to the old and new testament they accompany one another I mean completely it's remarkable to be able to see Exodus and Hebrews and the Lord gave Moses the law that's one of the things that we're going to be speaking about is the law the the covenant that God gave Um, primary place you start seeing that Exodus 19 but really Exodus chapter 20 through 23 God is giving Moses the law that should be abided that's why in Exodus chapter 20 we find the 10 commandments right how many 10 commandments Exodus chapter 20 and so the Lord is giving Moses the law and he gives them the details even for the construction of the sanctuary called the tabernacle in the wilderness and that's in Exodus chapter 25 through 27 And he's like, hey, this is what I want you to be able to do. Because remember, they were in Egypt, and God delivered them out of the hand of Pharaoh so that they would be able to have freedom in Christ and freedom in God. And so they're walking, and they spend 40 years in the wilderness, but they still wanted to be in a relationship with God. And so he's giving them instructions for the tabernacle. We know that the structure was 45 feet long, 15 feet wide, 15 feet high. It was divided into narrow rooms with this heavy curtain. It was enclosed in a courtyard with a framework that was wrapped in linen. And inside the courtyard's entrance was a large altar where sacrifices were made. We see all about that, especially in Exodus chapter 35 through 38. And it just continues to unfold and to help direct and to help guide us in understanding what all this means. So those are the first several verses of Hebrews chapter 8. And it's leading up to something that is truly beautiful 
It lets us know that all those things serve as a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. I'll get into that more later on. It picks up from where Pastor, uh, uh, Pastor Luke mentioned over a month ago, but I'll get into that more. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, it tells us in verse 5, he was instructed by God saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. And so there he was, Mount Sinai, God gave him very clear instructions that if you want to be in a relationship with the Heavenly Father, you need to do these things. You need to have this tabernacle. You need to have it in this way so that we can be in a healthy relationship with the Heavenly Father. That's what he's doing. Well, it's quoting, verse 5 is quoting from Exodus chapter 25 when he says that very thing. So the Lord himself pitched the true tabernacle he also let them know coming up very quickly in verse 6 that there's something more excellent than the angels, the prophets, Moses Aaron and the Old Testament priest that Jesus Christ Messiah has come Hebrews chapter 8 verse 6 and he has become the mediator of a better covenant with the heavenly father and the word mediator refers to a middleman, an arbitrator between arguing parties. And because of our brokenness, we often need a mediator, sometimes even in businesses and in schools, all different politicians and, and, and marriages that end up breaking up. A lot of times they'll bring in, sometimes not an attorney, but a mediator, somebody who everybody understands is non-partial and they, they help in this. Well, Christ ends up serving as a mediator between us and God. And we see this unfold. Friends, the law, hear me say, was good. But we weren't able to keep up with the agreement. The people of God were not able to keep up with the agreement that they had made with God. And so now we learn that there is a better covenant in Jesus. And this is something you're going to hear over and over. There is a better covenant in Jesus. There is a better way to have a relationship with the Heavenly Father. Remember, he's also referred to as a mediator. He also gives us, you're going to hear later on, that you have the Holy Spirit who's known as the helper. So we have a mediator. We have a helper in terms of helping us, guiding us, instructing us in terms of having a greater relationship with the Heavenly Father. And so we, we need to ask ourselves, are we living in this new relationship, this new covenant? Are we actually elevating Jesus to the place in which we need to be elevating him to know that he is the bridge between us and God. Now, covenant is, a, is different than, I've spoken numerous times over the years. Covenant and contract, those are two different things, right? We often think in terms of having a contract, Right, hey, this is what this party does, this is what this party does, and if anybody breaks one of those things, then it's done. No, no, no. A covenant is different. A covenant requires giving up rights and picking up responsibilities. I say it all the time. Uh, a covenant require, means that we give up our rights and we pick up responsibilities. I'm willing to surrender and to sacrifice this in order to pick up these responsibilities of what it is to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's completely different than a contract. A covenant relationship is a solemn agreement between two parties for the purpose of creating and maintaining a healthy relationship. 
for the purpose of creating and maintaining a healthy relationship. So uh, today really is giving us an opportunity to evaluate whether or not we have a healthy relationship with the Heavenly Father by understanding the better covenant that is found through Jesus. When we look at the first covenant, the old covenant, it was actually God's instruction. When you look at the law, it was God's instruction in order to guard, to protect God's children, Israel. It tells us that in verse 7, for if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. You see, the thing with the first covenant is that it relied on the people of God to keep their end of the bargain, and they could not do it. They would not do it. They kept falling back to selfish desires. Um, you've got the Old Testament, you've got the New Testament, Yes. Council of Nicaea comprised most of this. They're the ones who decided whether or not, hey, we're going to bring these 66 books. This is 330 years after the birth of Jesus Christ. And they knew that this was the word of God. So that's when they truly formally put it together. So it was a, di- it was a different way in terms of the, the collective whole coming together. And as they were doing it, you've got to know that Testament, you have New Testament, Old Testament. You have Old Covenant, New Covenant. Well, they both, amen- they both mean something very similar. You have one that is, that is really about a covenant, but Testament is really agreement. So you have an old agreement and a new agreement. You have an old contract or old covenant and a new covenant. And so they work together and they help us to understand that here's Jesus Christ uh, working through this new covenant after a 400-year period, intertestamental period between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And what we find is this amazing opportunity to step into a much closer relationship with the Heavenly Father, to elevate His name. As we look at this, verse 8 and following, he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming. And he says, I am going, this is declaring, declares the Lord, I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. This is quoting the Old Testament, letting us know, even then, he knew what he was going to do. He was going to establish a new covenant with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant. They kept breaking it. They made an agreement, and they kept breaking it. And this is hard for us. Imagine, so um, if, if my kids, I say, my kids come to me, I've raised my kids to like really good food, which is a problem because really good food is more costly. And so I'm like, hey, guys, let's go grab something to eat. I'm thinking cheap Mexican, because I love chips and salsa, as we all know. And they go, well, how about Outback? I'm like, no. I'm not, n- no. Do you want any help with your college fund? Um, and so, but they're like, no, no, come on, let's go, let's go. We haven't been forever. And I'm like, okay, I tell you what. For the next hour, if you guys will just help around the house, straighten your uh, rooms, Wash the exterior of the home. Um, I cut the grass. If you do these things, and it, you, you don't do that, um, there's nothing wrong with having a six-year-old on the roof. Um, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with it as long as they scrub hard enough. So I'm like, hey, if you do these things, then we're going to take over and go to Outback. I mean, we're going to live it up large, blooming onion. Here we come. And then after an hour, you don't <laughs> I get claps for that. That's so good. <laughs> Like, I'm like, Jesus is the Lord. You're like, yeah. Blooming onion. Woo! Um, (laughs) 
I promised this year I was going to like not do those things. And I was like, January 9th, and I've already failed. Um, we're all sinners, but God's grace. Okay, so, and I'm like, they don't, they don't fulfill their end of the bargain. So do you say, I mean, it's hard though. Like, what if you say, guys, you said you would do all this. You did nothing, basically. You sat around and you chatted. You didn't get anything done. Am I being a good parent if I still take them? Or am I being a good parent and showing grace if I go ahead and take them anyway? But we had an agreement. And in time, if all I do is never hold them accountable to the agreement that they made, they'll never know what it is to value the relationship I truly want to have with them. They never will. And so here's God, the creator. Here's his children. And they made an agreement. Hey, you need to abide by this so that we can be in a good relationship. Because in time, if you never do as I ask and I'm your father then I can't trust you. And that's a direct reflection of the understanding that you have of my love and my grace and my mercy that I have and want to show you. But I can't trust you and you're showing to me that you don't want to be in a good relationship. You just want to take advantage of what I will do for you. That's the majority of people when it comes to their understanding of their relationship with the Heavenly Father. So here's a passage that lets us know if we are to live in a better covenant, if we are to live in God's covenant that he has now set up for us through his son, Jesus Christ, that he foretold of in the Old Testament and that then he fulfilled in the New Testament, then it tells us in verse 8 and following exactly what that means for us. Specifically in verse 10 and following. So here's what it says, verse 10. It says, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house. So he says, so the old covenant, they didn't keep. That's a problem. Verse 8 and 9. Verse 10, he then says, so, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. And he says what it will look like. This is the forming of the new covenant that we get to measure. Are we living in a relationship with God in this manner? I will put my law, it says, declares the Lord, I will put my law into their minds and write them on their hearts. There's four things you have to know. If you're living in a godly covenant, if you're living in a better covenant through Jesus Christ, the very first thing is that God's laws will be put into your mind and written on your heart. God's instruction, right? There's commandments that I've already mentioned in Exodus chapter 20, but also you get the... the, the the greatest commandment that we have, to love you, Lord, your God, with all your heart, mind, soul, and body. You get all of these different rules for us. You love thy neighbor as yourself. You get all these different guides for us in life, direction for us in life. If you're in a living in a healthy relationship, then you're going to put God's laws, God's instructions on your mind and write them on your hearts. That's the, something we speak about frequently, the 18-inch journey. A lot of us know something. We've been told something so we can regurgitate it, but we've never allowed it to take the 18-inch journey from our mind to our heart so that now we live it out. You're all following me, yes? This is very important because the world, and even I would argue the church of the Western culture over the last several decades, haven't, we've never really moved from here to here in a way that abides by his law, that abides by his word. And so we've lost a true understanding of what it is to be in a relationship with God. So now we just think he is here. We've taught the world that, hey, if anything bad happens, this, happened, this, this has always taken place. If anything bad happens, well, where is God and why doesn't he love us? Because God gives you freedom. God gives all of us freedom. And there's repercussions for that in our life. 
There's consequence for what other people do and for what we do. We just don't want to have the responsibility of holding up our end of the deal. And so then we say, well, then God must not be good. No, God's good, so good that he gave his son to die for us. So if we want to live in this godly covenant, that, mean God, that means God's laws will be put on our minds, written on our hearts. The believer will be aware of God's ways. You'll be aware of God's instructions. You'll be aware of God's commandments. You'll be aware that God's laws are to be written on your hearts. And you'll want to elevate that more and more in your relationships and the decisions that you make in your careers, everything else, so that there's more Jesus and less room for anything else. Yes? Yes. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. That's the second thing you have to know. God will be our God and we will be his people. Um, I've said it before, I went to the University of Georgia from an undergrad business degree and so they play in the national championship tomorrow. Um, um, I only say this because I really don't care who wins. Yay. Um, don't care. Um, but I will say this, it's cool that they're there, you can have a lot of fun with it, but man, when I was growing up in Georgia, and you guys in Michigan aren't much different, all right, it's all the same, like, you had people, like, babies coming out of the hospital, like, they were, like, two days old, like, their first onesie was a Georgia Bulldog onesie, and they're, like, painting, like, a big G on their face before they're even, like, it was weird, like, they're so, their allegiance was so big. Like, we're Georgia Bulldogs. Look at us. We're awesome. We can never pull through and actually win a national championship, but we're great. Right? And so it's, it's like that weird thing. But they knew. Everybody knew what they were fans of. Right? We've, we do sports illustrations all the time. Same with Michigan. You got all these little babies. I'm not saying it's wrong, but, like, all these, like, from the get-go, they're wearing all the right colors and um, and Michigan State, it doesn't matter what it is. And it's because everybody knows you belong to that school. Well, guess what? If you're actually in a healthy covenant relationship with God, everybody will know you belong to God. That's why it says it's an indwelling of the Holy Spirit is in your life. You have no more timidity. You have no shame of knowing Jesus if you belong to Jesus. Because you've elevated him to a place in your life that you haven't previously done. So not only will God's laws be put onto your minds and written on your hearts, but God will be your God. You belong to God, and we will be his people. The way you conduct yourself, the way that you speak, the way you interact with other people, if, whether they take advantage of you or whether they don't take advantage of you, people will know, man, even if they disagree, you belong to God. I belong to God, my friends. 100%. My goal in life and for my entire family is to influence others toward Jesus. And yet I know that a lot of people don't want more Jesus in their life. But that doesn't keep me from telling them anyway. Because I belong to God. God will be your God and we will be his people. He will be near to his people. We will recognize and even remove idols in our life so that he can have a greater place of authority in our life. Right? We only have so much room. And so if you fill that space of your life with all these other things and you don't have room for Jesus, guess what we do? We remove other things so that he can have a greater voice, greater authority in our life because we elevate him. We, God, for thousands of years, we've seen what happens when societies end up turning their back on God. 
for thousands of years. And everybody's like, let's learn from history. Okay, let's learn from history. When you start trying to define ethics and morality apart from the word of God, it's up to every single individual person, which means in time there is no consequence for anything we do, which means in time there's more and more chaos rather than the peace that God promises through a relationship with his son. That's what it is. I am riled up for 2022. Let's bring it, yes? It's time to elevate Jesus. God's glory, God's purpose is another way that we say it. Third thing is that if we really are living in this better covenant, this greater covenant, this, this godly covenant, it means that we will be in a close relationship with God. Verse 11 says the following. It says, And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one of his brothers, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall, know all, for, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities." And I will remember their sins no more. Now, this is stark contrast to what they knew before. This, especially at the very end. But what it's really trying to communicate, and I'm going to unpack it. Don't worry, I'm going to keep going with it. But it says we will, what it's trying to communicate is that we will be in a close relationship with God. We will have an intimacy with the Heavenly Father that we previously did not have. There will no longer be a need for the priests and the prophets or the teaching of God's word in that way. For we ourselves can have that relationship. That's why, right? You go back, to, let's go back to Great Britain. I've spoken about it before. Let's go back to the 1500s and the 1600s. The reason those periods were so tumultuous is, uh, for people of faith is because the institution of the religious people the church, the religiosity of it, what they did is they said, you know what, just our special people, our priests of authority can tell you about God. And you had people like Martin Luther and others coming in in those 200-year periods saying, no, 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 everybody can know the word of God. Everybody has the helper, which we're going to see in Scripture in a second. Everybody has a helper, Holy Spirit, speaking into your life. How cool is that? But they didn't want to lose that authority or that power. They were killing people all the time for anybody who spoke such things. It was a continual thing. But yet we get to be in that type of close relationship with God. Yes, I can teach you, I can instruct you, and hopefully through the ordaining of Holy Spirit, hopefully the way that it's supposed to be is that anybody who is a preacher of the Word will then come and help you have a better understanding, a more clear understanding of the Word of God. But yet you still have a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, and through Holy Spirit to be able to live in a, on a daily basis according to His guidance. tells us John 14, this is to help you understand it, John 14, 25 through 26, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, that's Holy Spirit, okay? When, so when it refers to helper, that's what I said earlier, referring to the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. So you constantly teaching the helpers here with you, coming at Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, okay? You just got to put it all together. He will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance all that I have said to you. Another passage for us is John 16, 13 through 14. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you. So the helper is guiding us, instructing us, speaking into our hearts. You know when God is speaking one thing to you. But if you don't like it, often when we feel uneasy about a decision that we've made in life, what we'll do is we'll blame that on one thing so that then we can release that guilt and still do what we want to do as sinners and as of the flesh. So when the spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into the truth. 
He will, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you all the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. We have a helper, we have a speaker who comes into our life, the Holy Spirit. And so what this is conveying is here's the difference between a, a new covenant, a greater covenant with Christ, is that we now can have a closer relationship with God. And let me, very, very quickly, let me tell you, you have a responsibility. If you claim to be in a relationship with God, you do have a responsibility to be obedient to the speaking of Holy Spirit in your life. Because the Trinity says Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right? One and the same. From the very beginning, they have existed and been together. So if we, if we claim that, we have the responsibility of being obedient to the speaking of Holy Spirit in our life. So when God tells me to do something, I have the responsibility of doing that, whether it makes sense or not. It may not make worldly sense. That's okay. I still have a responsibility to be obedient to the speaking of Holy Spirit in my life. Fourth thing, last thing I want to hit with us is Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12 there that I've already read. It lets us know that God, though, if we're living in this better covenant, God will be gracious and give us new life. God will be gracious and give us new life. God will pardon our sins, will not remember our sins. Under the first covenant, sins were brought to mind every year due to, to the repetition of sacrifices. You would come and once again, another sacrifice, and once again, another sacrifice, and once again, another sacrifice to pay penalty for the sin. But through Jesus Christ, it's one time and done, and he forgets. Don't you wish we functioned like that? Wouldn't that be cool? That when somebody does us wrong, we'd be like, man... I forgive you, and, and, and no longer did that determine our relationship moving forward. God will be gracious and give us new life. Under the new covenant, sins have been forgotten, washed away by the blood of Jesus. Become obsolete in many ways. So he, there is an old covenant and a new covenant. So I want to give you something right now to just make sure you understand this. I took pages and pages and pages of notes, and I tried to consolidate very simply, the difference between Old and New Covenant. So I'm going to call this out to you. It might be a good thing for you to scribble down. Old Covenant was roughly around 1450, 1450 B.C., before Christ, at Mount Sinai, mediated by Moses. It was written on stone tablets, right? Dedicated by the blood of animals in just simple, endless repetition. That was Old Covenant. The New Covenant, 33 AD. It's roughly the time period in which Christ gave his life. The New Covenant is 33 AD, at, not at Mount Sinai, but at Mount Zion. So it moves from Mount Sinai to Mount Zion. Mediated by Jesus, not Moses, written not on stone tablets, but written on the hearts of people. And dedicated with his blood, which is to be spiritually applied to his people, and the new covenant is poured out freely on all who will receive him by faith. It's the difference between old and new covenant. The old covenant was confined to the descendants of Abraham through Isaac and Jacob, while the new covenant is extended to all nations and all races under heaven for anybody who, who proclaims and professes that Jesus is Lord. The old covenant, going back to a previous message on Hebrews, the old covenant was a shadow of Christ. 
But the new covenant is the reality of Jesus as Christ. The old covenant looks toward the cross. The new covenant looks back to the fullness of the cross and all that it means for us. There is a better covenant, a greater relationship to be had in the name of Jesus because of what he did for us. And if you understand everything that I'm speaking right now, if that's something that has not only gone to your mind but to your heart, then you have a decision to make. Is that worth elevating? Because there is a better covenant in Jesus. The Spirit guides and leads, and we recognize that something is not right in our life. And so we know that we can't stand before God as unholy people. And knowing that we cannot stand before God as unholy people, we know that we have no right to, and we need a helper, we need a mediator, we need a savior. And so, what do we do when you recognize that you need a savior? You cling to Jesus. That's why throughout the book of Hebrews, one of the things that it says that we do as believers is that we are to hold what? You know? Ah, hold fast. We're to hold fast, which means we are to cling to that which we know that can save us. We are to cling to that which we know can give us a relationship with the Heavenly Father. We are to cling to that. We are to hold fast. Because there's a better covenant in Jesus. And so we cling to faith in Christ. Perhaps the real question we need to ask is, are we willing to cling to Christ? Think of that area that you need to cling to, that you need to elevate Jesus in because you do understand that Jesus is the better covenant. There's a greater covenant to be known because you can't live a life good enough. But man, when you, when you really understand your brokenness, it's funny, when I began to understand more of my misery and more of my brokenness and more of my insecurities, like I used to care so much what other people thought about me. And as I just finally recognized my own insecurities and my own weaknesses, the more freedom I found in Christ. And when I found freedom in Christ, guess what increased? My boldness. I don't have much timidity when it comes to Jesus anymore because I understand what Jesus has done for me. Amen? So what if this year you actually elevated Jesus? And and I I believe God, some of you, You've never elevated Jesus to his rightful place. And you need to make a decision whether or not you will profess him as Lord and Savior. Let me say it very clearly. Some of you have never elevated Jesus to his rightful place as the Savior and King of your life. It's never gone from here, even if you've known it, but it's never moved from here to here. So you still live for self, but you claim surrendering a life to him. You need to make that decision. And now that you're hearing it, you're responsible to that as well, by the way. Some of you need to recognize what that is to elevate Jesus. But others for you, you're going, I have, I've surrendered to Jesus. But there's some area, there's some area in your life, a relationship, marriage, friendship. Um, um, maybe it's um, a promise that you've made to somebody that you've never kept. Maybe it's your career. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's something. And you know you, need, you have an area of your life in which you need to elevate Jesus. What is that for you? 
If you're living in that better covenant, what is that area for you? So what, what I want us to do is we're going to stand for the reading of the word of God. Would you stand with me? And once again, I'm going to elevate the reading of the word of God. Yes, it's symbolic. But I'm going to call out another passage for us. And it's from 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm not going to have it on the screen on purpose. I want you to sit and I want you to reflect upon what this says and then determine what is that area of your life that you need to make sure that Jesus is elevated in so that you can understand what it is for him to be the better covenant, to have a greater relationship with God. How sad would it be if you live out 2022 in the same way as 2021 because you haven't grown in your faith? Stop. 2 Corinthians 3. I'm just going to read this for us. You can close your eyes. You can use it as prayer, whatever you want to do. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but delivered with the spirit of the living God. Delivered not on tablets of stone, old covenant, but on tablets of human hearts. Yeah. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills what the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters of stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was a glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Scripture tells us, my friends, you can keep your eyes closed. Scripture tells us, for there is now no condemnation because of Jesus Christ. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more, much more will what is permanent have glory. And since we have such a hope, we are now bold. Not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what they have been brought to an end because their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is the veil removed so that we can have a greater understanding of God. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed, and now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is in your life, there is freedom. When Jesus is elevated in your life, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. 
Will you elevate Jesus in your life? What is the area in which you need to surrender? God, I come before you. I give you thanks for your word. May these friends know what it is to be bold in Christ. May these friends know what it is to surrender and to understand a better, a greater covenant in Jesus Christ in which sin has been covered, sin has been paid for, wrongdoing has been covered, wrongdoing has been paid for, in which there is a greater relationship with the Heavenly Father to be known. May these friends know what it is to elevate Jesus, to elevate the Word of God in their life. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.